My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God and continuing our journey through the book of Matthew. Just a reminder, if you haven't had a chance to subscribe to my YouTube channel yet, please go ahead and do that. I've got playlists there for you. And of course, uh, you know, like my Facebook page, uh, Instagram, podcasts, share these out as much as you can. Uh, links are always in the description below. And uh, let's get into the Word of God today. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13 uh, today. So uh, get your Bibles out. Hope you got them all ready. And let's go. Uh, an incredible chapter that uh, continues the journey of Jesus that Matthew documented. So he got into a boat, crossed over and came to his own city. Okay, talking about Jesus, must be referring, referring to Capernaum, which was Jesus' own city. Jesus didn't own a house there, but it is where he lived during uh, the majority of his ministry. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Now, uh, if you read this same story in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5, uh, it's the story about the paralytic man being lowered through the roof uh, so that uh, you know his friends could get him to Jesus. And it's another example of Jesus now healing the sick and those people who have disease. But it was really confirming Jesus' role as the Messiah that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus' miracle... Uh, they were a testimony not only that he was sent by God, that he actually was the anticipated prophesied Messiah. Remember, Matthew is a uh, Jew writing this book, this particular gospel, with a focus to Jewish people, so Jewish people would understand that Jesus really was the Messiah. Uh, but Jesus' miracles that he performed were not necessarily about, you know, trying to draw big crowds. They were primarily about ministering to the needs of the people that he came into contact with. Now, interestingly enough, there was a lot of sickness in Israel at this time. Now, why? Why was there so much sickness? Was it just because of the times, poor hygiene, not the same level of medicine that we have now? Uh, no, actually, a lot of it was due to, to the people's unfaithfulness to the covenant that God had established with them. And so they had a very low level of spiritual health. And God gave them basically the opposite of what he promised because he promised in, in Exodus chapter 15, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Remember he said that when the plagues were coming. For I am the Lord who heals you. God established his character to heal in the Old Testament, but there was a connection with how that would work. And so we can look at the fact that there was a lot of unhealthy, physically unhealthy people, uh, you know, being linked to, not solely because of, uh, a, a low level of spiritual health. 
so Jesus saw the faith of the friends that brought the paralytic man. Uh, he saw that he didn't see the faith of the paralyzed man. He didn't know what the paralyzed man's faith level was. Uh, but it was evident that they had the faith to actually bring their friend to Jesus and that their faith was acted enough to take part in taking the roof off the building and lowering him down in front of Jesus. Uh, now, I guess you could assume that Jesus knew that the paralyzed man didn't have a lot of faith himself uh, because Jesus himself only noted the faith of his friends. He didn't talk about the faith of the paralytic man. Uh, so Jesus wanted to encourage that man's faith by the words that were about to come out of his mouth next. And uh, which is really interesting because the words that came out of his, his, his mouth were the words cheer up. Uh, A.B. Bruce said, Jesus uttering first a kindly hope inspiring word, such as a doctor might address to a patient, cheer up, cheer up. You know, um, and that's what he said. Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. very first thing he said to him was, be of good cheer, cheer up. The faith of the paralyzed friends, uh, man's friends actually did something. They brought the man to Jesus, but they only actually thought about bringing him to Jesus so that he'd be healed. They never thought anything about the fact that his sins either needed to be forgiven or would be forgiven. But Jesus actually addressed the man's greatest problem first. As bad as it is that you're paralyzed and you can't walk and you need healing, it's infinitely worse to be paralyzed forever in your sin. And it doesn't mean, and we should not infer that the man was paralyzed because of his sin. That's not what I believe Jesus was saying. I don't think that was Jesus' point in saying your sins are forgiven you. Matthew Poole saw six reasons why Jesus dealt with the man's sin first. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, you know, uh, copy, if you like, some paraphrasing of Matthew Poole's reasons why the sin with was dealt with first. One, because the sin is the root from which all of our evil comes. Two, to show that forgiveness is more important than bodily healing. Three, to show that the most important thing Jesus came to do was to deal with sin. Four, to show that when a man's sins are forgiven, he becomes a son of God. Five, to show that the response to faith is the forgiveness of sin. And six, to begin an important conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees about sin, healing, and forgiveness. So then we move on to verse three. And at once some of the scribes and with, said within themselves, this man blasphemes. So they said it within themselves. It didn't come out. Just what they thought in their mind and in their heart. They objected, uh, objected immediately. And Jesus addresses what they said in their hearts and minds, showing that our thoughts are always open to God. Our What goes on in our heart, what goes on in our mind, God knows. It's of interest to him and he knows about it. And the scribes correctly understood that Jesus was claiming to do something that only God could do. But they were incorrect in assuming that Jesus was actually not God himself and that Jesus was somehow blaspheming by considering himself to be God. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Arise and walk. This alone should have been enough for Jesus to prove his deity, the fact that he knew their thoughts. Like they should have been blown away by his statement, Hey, why are you thinking this? And they're like, How does he know we're thinking this? And it should should have demonstrated them straight away that he knew the evil that was in their hearts. 
But he was also now about to offer even greater proof of the fact that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, because he said, for what's easier to say? See, healing and forgiveness are both impossible from uh, when it comes to eternal forgiveness of sins. Uh, they're impossible from man to man. They can only come from God to man. And the, we can forgive somebody, you know, doing something against us, but only God can forgive the eternity of that particular sin. Yet the only thing that the promise of healing was actually going to do was to prove some, by way, by measure of which they could see Jesus's deity. Um, because for him to say your sins are forgiven, well, they couldn't see physically. Had he really, did he really forgive his sins? How do we know whether he did? But when he healed him, they could really see that. And which is actually something that the psalmist talk about in Psalm 103 verse 3, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So even in, in Psalms, uh, the pattern was established that God would deal with our sin first and our health second, verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Jesus answered his own question. Uh, before the religious leaders even had a chance to do it because he was actually able to make good on his claim that he could heal the man because he said, which one's easier? And then before they could respond, he actually healed the man, which gave proof that he actually did have the power to heal the man, which meant that he must also, by inference, have the power to forgive sins. The man was instantly healed and it proved that God does have the power to heal and the power to forgive. The marvelous thing that happened was the worshipping and glorifying of God because when the man was healed, the crowd properly gave God the glory for the miracle. Jesus did not draw attention to himself uh, when the healing actually took place because what they did was they glorified God. You have to remember from their perspective, they're still reconciling, is Jesus really God? But they knew that the God of Israel had the power to heal. So this, what, that's what they were doing. They were glorifying God. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and he followed him. Mark chapter 2, uh, the gospel of Mark, says that this man, Matthew, was actually also named Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 3, which we'll get to later, mentions that there was actually another disciple who was also a son of Alphaeus, who was James. He was actually called James the Less to distinguish him from James, the brother of John. Uh, so Matthew and his brother James were another set of brothers who were part of the disciples. Now, uh, tax collectors were were not just notorious sinners. They were actually uh, regarded as collaborators with the Roman Empire against their fellow Jews. So they were Jews who worked for the enemy. 
nobody liked the person that was a tax collector. The, the Jewish people rightly, rightfully thought of them as traitors because they worked for the Roman government. They also had the force of the Roman soldiers standing right beside them. So if you didn't do what they said you had to do, Rome was going to protect them. Uh, he, Rome was going to make sure that you paid the taxes that the tax collector said you needed to pay. Uh, they were the most visible traders, if you like, tax collectors. And the Jewish people also saw them as, as extortioners because what they would do is they could keep whatever they overcollected. Uh, a tax collector's way of getting a contract would be, say, if he wanted to be the tax collector for the city of Capernaum, is he could bid for it to the, to the Roman Empire and they would just accept the highest bid, which, you know, so whichever tax collector said, I'll give you the most money, that's what they would accept that bid. And then the tax collector could uh, add whatever he wanted on to, to on top of that for himself and the Roman soldier would enforce it. So if the person had bid to give two denarii to, uh, to the Roman government per person, per day or per week or whatever the, the amount was, and then he said, okay, you owe three, the, he, that was him gonna, he was gonna keep one. The Roman soldier didn't care. What the Roman soldier cared about was that the man fulfilled his contract with Rome. So they were cheaters and everything was profit. And it was interesting because, the, you know, to become a tax collector was choosing a life of exile because as soon as you become a tax collector, you weren't, were no longer as a Jew. You weren't allowed to go to the synagogue. You were, uh, considered to be a disgrace, not just to yourself, to your entire family. So it was a family decision. And it was something that, uh, you know, people didn't enter into lightly. And this man has Jesus say to him, follow me. Uh, really amazing the fact that Jesus actually would have understood how much this man was hated and how he immediately loved and called Matthew. And it was a well-placed love because Matthew responded to Jesus' invitation by immediately leaving his very lucrative business and he followed Jesus and he eventually went on to write the very first book of the New Testament the gospel that we are studying right now uh, William Barclay said this he left his tax collector's table but he took one thing from it his pen this man whose trade had taught him to use a pen used that skill to compose the first handbook of the teaching of Jesus David Guzik in one way, this was more of a sacrifice than some of the other disciples made. Peter, James and John could more easily go back to fishing and their fishing business any day. But it would have been hard, if not impossible, for Matthew or Levi to go back to ever being a tax collector. And another interesting thing here is that Jesus is calling Matthew be a disciple, knowing that he's actually going to choose other people or ask other people to be his disciples, who Matthew would have taxed. Because he would have, he would have taxed fishermen. That would have been, because part of the way that as a fisherman would pay taxes is not just with money, but with fish. Uh, could you imagine that, that introduction? Uh, you know, Jesus saying, uh, Peter, James, John, fisherman, uh, this is Matthew. I believe you know Matthew. I believe he may have ripped you off, uh, a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew. Uh, hey guys, I guess we're all on the same team now. Um, and no, I wonder if Jesus had a chuckle over that moment. Uh, verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Interesting. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those 
who are sick. But go and learn what this means. In other words, what I'm about to say, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, and he quotes from the Old Testament. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Interestingly, Matthew is a tax collector who immediately follows Jesus. The One of the first things that Matthew does is goes and meets with his fellow tax collectors. Maybe Jesus knew that Matthew would evangelize other people like him. Uh, Jesus took advantage of Matthew's decision to follow him uh, would mean that he could reach more people like that than just Jesus could by himself. I think he does the same thing with us, is that when we respond to the gospel message and uh, we think, well, how can God use me? I mean, I have a totally unique skill set and I'm not like other people. Yeah, that's God's going to use that uniqueness to, for you to reach people that other people can't. And these religious leaders said to his disciples, look, why does why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it was actually an easy answer because Jesus is the friend of sinners. Romans 5.8, uh, Paul wrote, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which is why he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Uh, it's the, it was, it was the principle, this principle, the, the, the Pharisees, they couldn't wrap their head around it because they were basically like doctors who wanted to help sick people, but never wanted to touch a sick person and never wanted to be around a sick person. They wished that all the sick people would become healthy, but they didn't want to have anything to do with them. That was their, the way that they approached their religious leading. They wanted people to be religious like them, but they didn't want to have anything to do with them. They didn't want to get infected themselves, you could say. And Jesus came to benefit those who understood their inherent need for him, those who are sick and the poor in spirit, Matthew chapter 5. But it's interesting because the proud who see that they have no need of Jesus, they're the ones that Jesus says they think they're well, those who are well. They have no need of of, of somebody to heal them because they think, they're fine. And that's today. People think they're fine. I don't need Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? So they benefit nothing from Jesus. Spurgeon said this, Lord, grant that if ever I am found in the company of sinners, it may be with the design of healing them, and may I never become myself infected with their disease. So then Jesus ends this little statement here, and he says, listen, you need to go and learn what this means. You're so good. You're a Jew. You know the Old Testament. You know the prophet Hosea. So you obviously haven't learnt what that meant. You you know it, you've memorised it, but you don't know what it means. And he quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Now, what was interesting is that when Hosea wrote that prophetic word, people were still very good at bringing sacrifices to God, but they had forsaken a very important part of their lives, which was mercy. They had abandoned mercy. What was mercy? Mercy was withholding punishment. That actually was due to people. So they had become very critical. And if somebody deserved punishment, you're getting the punishment. doesn't matter whether God forgives your sins or not. Now, why did they forsake mercy? Because they had given up on the knowledge of God and his truth, which is what Hosea prophesied in chapter 4, verse 1. So when Jesus said, you need to go and learn what this means, well, what did it mean? 
what, what was Hosea talking about? What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You need to go and find out what this means. What, what does it mean? It means that God wants us to have the right hearts that are full of truth and mercy more than we have a heart of sacrifice to follow the laws of the Old Testament. Now, my observation today is uh, wrapped around two things. Number one, I think it's very important for us always to realize that Jesus wants to forgive us more than he wants to heal us. Uh, so don't get upset if he's done one without the other or if he hasn't healed you the way that you would really like. Because even if he healed you, you're not going to get your your perfect healing until you go to heaven, until you're in eternity with God. And Jesus is always interested in our the condition of our hearts and our sin condition first before is the condition of our bodies. My other uh, observation is Matthew. Matthew was probably the most unlikely disciple, chosen from the un- most unlikely group. And I'm sure he was scratching his head in his own heart. Why would this man want me on his team? Uh, and the reality was is that Jesus had a very specific purpose for Matthew. Jesus knew that he was going to write this book. Jesus knew that he was going to be somebody that would uh, scribe the, the, the words that you and I are reading and studying right now. Jesus knew that. Jesus always knows how he's going to use us. He's never scratching his head with a committee meeting of angels saying, how are we going to use this unique characteristics? God's always got a plan. And we just need to follow Jesus. Jesus said to Matthew, hey, follow me. He didn't say, hey, I'd love you to join my team and give me your collaborative input. No, he just said, no, follow me. And that's what Matthew did. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to just be simple followers of you. When you say, follow me, we just say, yes, Lord, we will follow you. I pray, Lord, for anybody who... Uh, is in need of physical healing, Lord, or healing in any way, shape, or form. I, I pray, Lord, that they would be able to ask you right now because, Jesus, it was by your stripes we are healed, and healing is something that you died on the cross for. Thank you, Lord, that you do deal with the healing of our hearts through the forgiveness of sins first. But then secondly, you have also come to allow us to experience physical healing. And I pray, Lord, right now for everybody who has a need, I, I join them in prayer with you, and I pray, Lord, that you would heal their body, touch their minds and hearts, In Jesus' name, bring them total healing, I pray. And God, help us to live our lives for you in every way, shape and form. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.